Hello and welcome to the people-powered Green Left Podcast, where we give a voice to the 99% and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. I acknowledge that this program is being produced on stolen Aboriginal land. We express solidarity with ongoing struggles for justice for First Nations people and to pay our respects to Elders past and present. Introducing myself, my name is Jacob Andrewafa uh, and I'm part of Green Left. And today for our podcast on for Green Left, we're going to be talking about AI development and its implications in uh, under 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 capitalism, and of course, AI um, development is a very much a very big topic. Um, it's dominating our um, our kind of headlines. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of talk about how it's like the future of uh, of technology and and so on. Now, but there's of course there's a lot of dangers um, with um, this this new technology that's that's emerging. And I guess our special guest today is we're going to be speaking to Oshik Saiha who is an activist with the All Students Association um, in India, but he's also does has done a lot of research on the nature of digital labour, data workers in the global south, as well as the emergence of disinformation in, um, in the digital economy. Um, Oshik will be a speaker at the upcoming Eco-Socialism 2023, a World Beyond Capitalism conference, which is going to be happening on July 1st, July 2nd in um, Melbourne, where he'll be speaking on this very topic. Um, so, good morning. Um, so, um, Oshik, I guess to kind of start off, um, you know, tech CEOs and um, the media alike are pushing two different narratives about the nature of AI development right now. Now, the first one is is that it kind of represents an existential threat to our society. It's going to make large sections of our workforce uh, redundant. And of course, the implication that some people are taking with this is, you know, it's gonna it's gonna make the whole notion of work redundant. And of course, there's this no there's this narrative that we might be heading towards a Terminator-like future that could single the end of society. Now, on the other hand, which is it's more utopian, but basically, it's this argument. Um, it's this argument that you know, AI development is gonna usher us in a technological singularity that it, our lives are going to be basically being made fundamentally easier and of course it's going to be the key to solving all the fundamental issues that we face today including climate change now i guess kind of here i want to hear what is your kind of response and analysis of these two different narratives and what has the nature of ai development meant for society today thank you jacob uh, for allowing me to come here first of all uh, as to your question the first thing that that we need to understand is that the, the binary that is being posed here itself is a kind of a red herring so on one hand you uh, on one hand you have the garden variety tech bro these are the same kind of people who were talking about crypto last year and maybe some other kind of technology the, the year before they were talking about web web 3.0 the year before that and they will be talking about some other form of technology development technology hype that will come up maybe in the coming years um we we know these people we have dealt with these people on twitter we have dealt with these people on linkedin and um 
they're, they're not really optimists per se, but they know that to jump on a bandwagon will help them garner a series of likes, a series of views, and that will that, that will basically propel them forward. Um, the second kind of uh, uh, the second kind of um, um, uh, the, the second point of view that you, you mentioned here is more is more nefarious i would say because because the people who are promoting it are are very often people who have been linked to the development of what we call artificial intelligence now the first thing that to remember here is that there is no not a single form of artificial intelligence you cannot point to a single technological development that you can call artificial intelligence artificial intelligence is to be understood as a marketing term so for example when you use your phone you have your and you're typing something you have the auto uh, autocorrect or autofill technology that could be branded as artificial intelligence even though it is a very is it it is a very limited form of technology what has got gotten people very excited is the form of generative artificial intelligence what is being called the generative artificial intelligence usually in the form of DALI, where you put in a, a series of texts and they, they will generate a picture or chat GPT, which where you where you can give it a certain set of instructions and it will try to appro approximate the way humans respond. Not, uh, but of course, it's not the way humans respond at all, but it's an approximation of how humans communicate over emails or, 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 or over the internet. Now the problem with uh, pro the the way it is being portrayed as some kind of apocalyptic technology as something that will fundamentally change the world is is I would say is a form of marketing in in itself. It is in saying that this is a kind of technology that is so dangerous that it needs to be regulated and and these figures these people who are being called the godfathers of AI uh, they are using it to say that you know you either adopt our technology you adopt these technologies you integrate these technologies into your existing business or or, or, or a workplace or uh, so things like that or your your business is going to die so it is a form of pushing adoption through fear someone on mention said this is fear marketing not fear mongering and this is uh, um so so uh, so that is there and i think this is something that you've done quite a bit of work on exploring, but especially from someone who is coming from uh, the Indian context, is there's an aspect that rarely gets talked about, um, and this is rarely getting spoken about in the West. It's definitely not uh, It's definitely not a big topic, but there's all this talk about how AI development is making work more productive. Um, it's reducing the need for labour, um, and in fact, the big the writers' strike that's happening in the United States, the, the, the question of AI is actually a big sort of issue that the writers are very concerned about. But one of the things that is not discussed at all is the nature of data sets that underpin AI development actually involves a lot of labour being outsourced to the global south. In fact, labour is actually being created. But for us Westerners um, who who live in the global north, we're not necessarily seeing this. And I guess, what are your, what can you give us some of your comments on this dynamic within AI development? Certainly, uh, as you said, um, AI requires a lot of labour, of course. Now, the thing is that 
especially back since the since the 1980s we in the glo- uh, and especially after the collapse of the ussr we, we in the global south have been told that you know we must catch up with the global north in terms of technological development in terms of economic development and the way to do that, do that is to embrace neoliberal market economies so for example like for countries like india we were told that uh to kind of refashion and retrain our workforce uh, that so that they can provide technological support to global north industries was the key to uh, key to economic development now with the development of ai we are being told that you know that when ai ai comes in and ai will transform our, our economic uh, our our economies but what you point as you pointed out what artificial intelligence or at least the technologies that underpay uh, are are branded as artificial intelligence they work on the basis of what is called uh, what is called uh, what are called limited memory machines so what has basically happened over the past few decades especially the past decade is that our technology uh, our our ability to st- store memory within uh, memory has improved by leaps and bounds so it has enabled machines to kind of store a lot of information within within certain data sets and what is what is done for example the if if you go into uh there are companies like uh, here where i live there's a company called i merit they will tell their uh, they have uh, a non profit that is attached to this for profit which says that we are going to train underprivileged women more particularly muslim women uh, to uh, for we are going to train them in 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 certain te- for for tech jobs and these jobs of course the idea is that tech jobs are very high paying but what we find is that they are being trained for very particular data annotation work that is low paying that is precarious and that has very little uh, le- little use value outside of that very particular uh, very particular field and has pr- probably if they decide to leave that company they will not probably find ad- other avenues of work and this is what is happening all across uh, not, not only here in india but we have seen uh, these kinds of um what what you can call um platform uh, plat- uh, platform mediated micro workers in venezuela uh, i've read about them in argentina in madagascar and what what they are basically doing is uh, the, they are processing uh, you you probably have read about the a strike in in Kenya that is happening happening right now who are people who are uh who are working as moderators it is the same kind of work it is it is happening all over the world and what people are being forced to do the way um sorry yeah uh, the way th- this technology works basically is by is by not only not not only displacing the labor geographically but in a sense uh, displacing the labor temporarily so when so usually you assume that when a kind of work is being done it is being done at a at a point in time after that work has been given but what these companies because they are so profitable because this business of ai is so 
lucrative, it is easier for these companies to have 1 million workers, for example, do 1 million, 10 million sets of works. And then when one of that, one of that, those prompts are going in from someplace in the global north, that is enough to offset the cost of all of that. So what is happening is in my own research, I've called this accumulation by digital dispossession, where this speculative investment investment is so profitable that you can actually burn through a huge amount of capital that could have been invested in a lot of other places and still come out profitable there was actually a kind of funny kind of story i heard in relation to to this in terms of the outsourcing of of labor and of course to the next question but i guess paraphrasing here because i didn't necessarily read the full news story because i heard this secondhand from another colleague there was um there was this moment where they developed this sort of AI. I mean, a bit similar to ChatGPT. It was actually saying a lot of very problematic and often quite racist kind of comments and making that kind of racist sort of commentary. And um, I don't know the specific kind of country, but they basically had to kind of outsource that work to a particular country in the global south, and you had to get these work these workers who were probably paid pittance to basically go through and kind of remove all the sort of offending sort of words thing is is something very interesting because um i don't know if you have if you have met someone who has worked at a call center or or something like this but what happens in this case especially i was reading in the case of venezuela there is a research called a researcher called julian posada and milagro Maiselli. they have done excellent work on Venezuelan researchers and how they have to translate these cultural contexts. Because you have, you, say, for example, if you're speaking in the global north, you have certain cultural contexts, you have certain things that are acceptable and some things that are not acceptable. So, for example, I'm not talking about Venezuela, but for example, if you're talking working in Indian call centers, the first thing that you're given is a Western name, a name that a Westerner had to learn to pronounce. Had to learn to uh, could could easily pronounce. They they would be given um, an address where they live in in the global north, probably some place in the United States or some, somewhere where they were working. They they would be trained in an accent, and they would be given. They would be shown American movies and American TV shows, and they would have to take up that persona and build that persona, and. In their mental space, they would have to lead a life which they are actually never going to live. So th- this comes into the racial racialization and erasure of these racialized experiences because I am working from India, but I am not allowed to allowed to have my client or my customer know that, and that is. That is what is happening in terms of when you're talking about this thing. It is um, when you're doing moderation work. Learning people say that this kind of work it is relatively not not labor intensive, but the kind of uh, the kind of training that you have to undergo, the kind of mentally you have to completely break yourself down and to become a whole new person in order to do that task and that is never talked about you know this is um i mean everything kind of say is actually it's actually been depicted in elements of it have been depicted in the film by boots riley um sorry to bother you where 
the um, the main the main protagonist. He's an African American. He starts work at a call center, and um, in terms of his la- productivity of labor, he has to pull off a white voice instead of sounding like an African American. So yeah, that's it's got it's very it's very um, fascinating to kind of hear that kind of that kind of perspective from you know from from a from a global kind of South kind of perspective. But I guess the kind of point I was actually leading into, which I think is very pertinent, is you've been you 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 you're, you have um, followed a bit around some of the development of, of far right kind of politics, and I guess what can you comment about the development of of AI and its link to um to the far right politics? But also I think there's also another element that's connected here, but the implications that AI development has for you know what could be considered authoritarian use of state power like for example how this technology could be utilized by institutions such as the police um and so on and what does this represent for uh fundamental human rights um so the first thing of course is uh once again th- there are two ways to represent this the way ai companies or or, or any tech company when they are when they are confronted with the idea of a far right content on their websites, they are going to say that you know um, uh, that you know our, our websites are the technology is neutral, um, but uh, what we are looking at, for example, the pro- the problem with AI is that uh, a problem with AI or any technology is that there are going to be people who use it for the their nefarious purposes, but we are we are interested in combating that. We need we need guidelines which are neutral, which which do not prefer or uh, which do not favor or unfavor anyone. But uh, but we are we are interested in combating that. But on the other hand, when when you when you look at it, you have this for example, the CEO of the surveillance firm Banjo, Damien Payton, who was who. A few, I, I think, uh, um, Washington Post or, or the New York Times. I, I'm forgetting the the media, but they they found out that he was a member of the Dixie Knights of the of the KKK, right? And you have you have Clearview uh, Clearview AI, wh- whose CEO was affiliated, wh- was working with Breitbart, uh, the with Breitbart uh, writer Chuck Johansson. So, and you have you have a number of people you have john, john mccarthy who is considered one of the founders of ai who wrote a paper uh, saying that you know women are less interested in technology and mathematics you have william shackley the 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 founder of transistor and who, who, uh, who, who the who, uh, the the person who invented the transistor who won the nobel prize for inventing the transistor who basically established silicon valley and he was interested in eugenics so i think what the first thing that we need to think about is that why is it that so many people who are in who are involved in tech at least the way we understand tech because a lot of people are involved in tech the people who are working in venezuela as as uh, as digital worker as digital laborers uh, are also involved in tech but the way we think of silicon valley as people who the brightest of minds where the brightest of minds go and ev- change the world forever. I think this this view of the world in itself that you have one person, one person with a sense of purpose and destiny and 
that kind of intellect changing the world that itself is a very fascist thing that itself is the idea of fascism right that one leader and one person can change the entire world so um and that is right there because this, these ethics the ethics uh, the ethic of artificial ethics of artificial intelligence when we talk about that we are not there are researchers in 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 ai ethics who have been talking about these things like the use of ai and the use of um uh, and the use of, uh, use of ai in surveillance for example not only surveillance uh, as pulled off by the state but even workplace surveillance and this goes back to what we were talking about in at first because because these the founders of ai present it as an um um something that that is inevitable present present artificial intelligence the application the way artificial intelligence is applied as completely inevitable they do not want they, they do not want to be regulated on these matters they don't they say whenever you try to get, get into regulation they will always oppose it and they will always use the all kinds of blackmailing tactics and this is kind of linked it, it my understanding is it is kind of linked at least the, you we need to look into what these links are and i think that goes into i guess the, the kind of next question and i guess to make a quick comment i mean we've kind of observed this um but the nature of big tech and very much ai development is very much linked to big tech and by big tech i'm talking about you know the likes of google facebook but the trajectory of all these sort of big major sort of big tech organizations is that they're generally unaccountable to governments and state institutions and we i mean we just had an experience recently i think a number of years ago where facebook basically cut access to to news and this was in response to a government policy and that this was a government policy that wasn't necessarily progressive but the fact that facebook was essentially able to kind of cut access to sort of news and it had such a big impact on our lives very much shows the kind of power that some of these big tech organizations have but it's very much looking like when we look at ai development it it looks to continue this trajectory of of being completely kind of unaccountable to governments or any state institutions and i guess what can you can you tell us a bit more of some of these regulatory aspects you've you've kind of um implied you've kind of alluded to to the, some of the things that need to be done in response but i guess i want to kind of hear a bit more specifically on this question uh once again uh in terms of for example the first thing that we need to look at talk about uh, is how big tech is talked about in the media because what they are doing right now when say for example sam altman is talking about being regulated what they're doing is right now is running a public relations campaign and all these media houses all the major um, bourgeois media houses they they are they are swallowing it uh, swallowing it up either either willingly or i don't know if they are, if they are doing it unwillingly but they're doing it they are repeating all these all the talking points that that the, the big tech wants them to talk about now um when so if we want to talk about the harms of artificial intelligence we we really want to talk about the harms because there are harms of artificial intelligence which people have been talking about so we have people like 
Temnit Gebru and uh, Emily Bender, who have who have done wonderful research. So, uh, uh, wonderful research in this field. We uh, so, for example, they have this paper titled "On the Dangers of Stochastic Parrots: Can Language Models Be Too Big?" And they have. I, I, I'll just I'll just briefly point out what they've written, and I feel that this is a brilliant, brilliant critique of the large language models. They point out that the there there is a financial and environmental cost to, to to training such huge LLMs, such huge language models. Is that, of course, you are requiring a lot of power because you are collecting almost all available data on the internet. You are you are using a lot of power and spending a lot of money to do that, which you could have used somewhere else. And the second thing is by having these kind of expansive data sets, what they're doing is, of course, as you pointed out, is that all kinds of conversations happen happen on the internet and specifically the uh, extremist right-wing conversations that do happen on the internet. You have no way of sorting that out because you are capturing everything that is, that is maybe being made available everywhere on the internet and naturally because it is the these kinds of conversations are actually overrepresented because these are communities that are privileged privileged in a certain manner and wh where these uh where these conversations are happening the third thing that they that they critique is the uh that language models have have a lack of access to meaning which means that they are basically churning out probabilistic nonsense uh, if that, that if that is more applicable, and th this is the critique that they made that instead of having these large language models, or 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 really this this applies to all kind of AI, you actually have a if you ha actually have a selected set of model where you a set of models where you pay people to go through these models, identify specific. Specific, specific data that can be incorporated in, into the data set and actually build something that is useful to most people rather than, you know, build these stochastic stochastic parrots. And for this, actually, Timnit Gebru was, was removed. Uh, she had to leave Google because she had, she made this point. And this, this is, this is what really is happening. And when, so when, these people, uh, people like Sam Altman, they called for they or, or anyone really in big tech when they when they talk about uh, 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 talk about regulation. What they mean is that regulate us in a manner that suits us and the way we tell you to regulate us. And this, uh, of course. So when we are talking about regulation, I know that I think. Earlier this month, the your minister of IT has in, in, elicited comments on on building a new AI policy or, or creating a, a new law on artificial intelligence. And the thing is that we cannot combat when we are talking about regulation. You cannot bring in a single reg, AI regulator. The thing that these companies want is that we want a single AI regulator who comes in. And then we can push that person around, or all of us can push that person around and have have our own way with artificial intelligence. The first thing that we need to do is that 
there is AI, as I said in the very beginning, artificial intelligence is a marketing term. And you have to understand that as such and have to spread your policy around across multiple multiple fields. So the first thing that you need to do is that you need to place the proof of burden, burden on these companies that you are introducing technologies that do no harm rather than and on, only after they have satisfactorily demonstrated that you need to um uh, th- th- that you allow them into your market uh, uh, allow them into your market rather than you know have this regulator try to demonstrate that these companies are doing these these and these things and then they they are forced to remove maybe one or one or two sections of the content rather than have an over- overhaul of their whole system Second thing is, to, of course, to enable policy that, for example, we have data, we have a set of laws that deal with data privacy and uh, a set of laws that deal with uh, uh, deal with monopoly and antitrust legislation. The first thing that we need to, uh, if, we, if we want to build a concrete policy that deals with AI, one, one thing that we have to recognize is to look at data mergers. So, for example, the day before yesterday, Sam Wortman was here in, 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 in India and he was saying that we do not want regulation for s- small AI startups. We only want the big AI companies to be regulated because it's very interesting that once the small AI companies have generated enough data and they have captured enough data, these big AI companies that then can really buy up these small companies and there 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 are no uh, there are no laws that that say that uh, we have laws where two, uh, two companies cannot merge if they if they have if they are uh, in if there's a danger of them creating a market monopoly but two companies having huge amount of data uh, data on our lives they can merge together and create a data monopoly and there are no laws that deal with that the the data privacy laws do not deal with that the the uh, and the antitrust laws do not deal with that. So that is one of the things that need to happen. Second is that um, the need we need to stop the carve-outs for general purpose AI because the, uh, these companies, they said that these these artificial intelligence machines, they are general purpose. They, they have no they have no specific intent. So we cannot regulate them. These are these are these are kind of non-profit artificial intelligence. We have to we have to we have to cut out that bullshit altogether. Say that all artificial intelligence, all whatever generative models you are using, does not matter to me as long as you are using data from people. You have to you have to have you have the requirement to tell people where that data is going how it is being used and you have to give them the right to say that okay my data cannot go to this thing you you can do you do other things with my data but you cannot go go for this thing and um the third thing of course is where i believe that our role as unionists and as as the left in general uh is that to protect workers from workplace surveillance because one of the major um uses of ai has been to has been to kind of surveil workers. You have seen it in the case of Amazon. You've been seeing it in the case of Tesla. Really, that workplace surveillance has shot up by a huge uh, de- uh, sh- shot up. And that needs to be stopped. We need to say that, you know, workplace surveillance 
is not going to be acceptable by any parameters. And that, I think, is really the crux of it. Fourth thing is that these AI companies, much like outsourcing, once they you they find it a little unprofitable to manufacture in a place with, which has good, not even unprofitable, like less profitable to manufacture in a place with good labor laws. They kind of export it to uh, export that work outside. And when we are doing international trade deals, these data regulations need to be now kept in kept in mind so that companies can't simply take data out of one place and process it in another place and say that, okay, we are not processing your data or we are we are compliant with all data regulations. So, yeah. Maybe as I guess a final kind of question, really. I want to hear, I guess, some of your broader thoughts, I mean, about the nature of how this links to, the guess, the nature of the capitalist system we live under. I mean, is there, do you think that very much... Do you think that AI has any potential liberatory role in the in the event that we actually were living in an economic system that wasn't engineered around profit at any cost? I mean, what is your kind of question and what is your sort of conclusions about, about some of that broader analysis and how it links to the capitalist system we live in? That's a very interesting question, Jacob. Um, basically, um, the problem with what how we understand AI or artificial intelligence or more specifically is the idea of the obsolescence of the of labor where labor is made obsolete and generally when at least within this capitalist framework when we when people say that you know this kind of work is becoming obsolete or that kind of work is becoming obsolete you notice that it is the work that marginal people do it is the kind of work that is usually expected of margin, marginalized people. So, for example, people talk about automated driving, making cab drivers irrelevant. Uh, irrelevant. But, of course, automation is making a lot of jobs, uh, making a job, uh, not, not taking over jobs per se, but intervening with certain aspects of those jobs. I, I, I personally do not believe that artificial intelligence can take away jobs jobs but it is a, a form of rationality that is being that is used and when we see that those jobs are not uh, those jobs are being done without certain marginalized people coming into coming in to do those jobs we assume that ai has taken over that role so for example there was this very interesting company that provided i'm forgetting the name of the company that provided um Ha, um, like, um, how do what do you call it? Cleaning up your household and, and you know, and maintaining your house. And the 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 work of that company would be would be kind of a a digital butler. And the thing is that you would never see that worker, the worker who comes into your house. She would get in, get in through your electric access door or, or anything like that. He would, he or she would work you work through your entire house do all the cleaning and uh, cleaning and maintenance stuff and that person would leave you if you say that i will come back to my home by 6 p.m that person will leave at 5 p.m so that person will come into your house so for example at 11 11 a.m after you have left for work and that person will be back from back uh, and, and will leave your house after having done all that work 
by the time you come back. So you never see that worker and um, you are never forced to think about their lives. And that is what what people talk about or think about when they talk about artificial intelligence, as we have been talking about talking, uh, talking that we think of artificial intelligence or chat GPT or any kind of language model, we think about, oh, okay, we are talking, we are talking to artificial intelligence. No, you are talking to people who have, who have done that, con who have had that conversation, who have had iterations of those conversations millions of times over 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 these spaces and so at least the way we understand artificial intelligence now as a marketing term i i doubt that the do uh, my question is do we need those technologies in a world where labor is given its rightful position in society do we do we do we need do we need to hide away the labor in a society where it is given its rightful position maybe there are there will be other technologies that actually make our lives better makes make everyone's lives better but i i feel that what we think of as ai is simply hiding labor and that of course in, in that has its own fascist fascist meanings so yeah do you have any like final comments you like to make um in terms of final comments, of course, uh, the the thing that we need to look at, especially in terms for Australia, it would be uh, your government is soliciting the com comments on on uh, on its AI policy, and we need to say that you know we, we can't have one one particular law that regulates AI, and we say that okay, we have we have an AI policy. The second thing, of course, we need to build labor solidarities worker solidarities in terms of working class uh, working class movements who and people people involved with with digital labor because as, as i said it it is it is the purpose of making it invisible is that to not have have us think about those uh, the, even the people who are work, working in those technologies are meant to think that you know this is not this is not this is not work that i do or this is this is this work is not linked to my identity i'm only doing this either as a side gig or something temporary before i find a real job in 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 the market and um and so people are people are discouraged from building solidarities even when they when they are being exploited in in this system so that is one of the things, these are one of the few of the things that I believe that we need to focus at right now. Well, thank you very much. I think this has been a very kind of informative kind of interview. And um, just as a kind of reminder for um, those um, who are listening, you know, um, Oshik um, Saar will be speaking on this topic at the upcoming Eco-Socialism 2023, a World Beyond Capitalism conference, where we'll be speaking about AI development and and capitalism. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much, uh, Ashik. It's been a very great, good discussion. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.